Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Donald Trump says the judge overseeing his indictment hates him. See where this one is going? The lead starts right now. Tuesday, 2.15, Trump's arraignment set, according to CNN sources. The unprecedented security that now needs to happen for this unprecedented court appearance. Plus, 30 news organizations come to the defense of an American journalist detained in Russia. Their demands to Putin and a friend of that reporter will also join me this hour. And from the Midwest to the South, confirmed tornadoes on the ground with the governor of Kentucky saying tonight's forecast is the worst he has ever seen. Welcome to The Lead on this busy Friday. I'm Pamela Brown in for Jake Tapper, and we start in our politics lead with new developments surrounding the historic indictment against former President Donald Trump. Tuesday, around 2.15 p.m., Trump is expected to appear before a Manhattan judge to be arraigned, according to sources. The former president is facing more than 30 counts related to business fraud. And the indictment remains under seal and may not be unveiled until Trump's arraignment. On Monday, he is expected to travel to New York from his Mar-a-Lago resort, where he intends to remain over the weekend. Trump's attorneys are saying the former president will absolutely voluntarily surrender himself. However, they do plan to file substantial legal challenges against the indictment. And this all comes as the Secret Service is meeting with New York officials today to discuss the logistics for Trump's court appearance and to address security concerns in the city. We start our coverage with CNN's Jessica Schneider, who takes a look at what we know about the case already and what to expect next week. What are the charges against President Donald Trump? An historic court date set for former President Donald Trump on Tuesday in Manhattan, where District Attorney Alvin Bragg has brought an indictment against him. Trump is planning to leave his Mar-a-Lago estate on Monday for New York, and then on Tuesday, authorities will take his mugshot and fingerprints before escorting him to his arraignment. The indictment, still under seal, styled the people of the state of New York against Donald J. Trump. CNN learning the grand jury voted to charge him with more than 30 counts related to business fraud after hearing from an unidentified witness for about 30 minutes Thursday. I am a convicted felon. I am a disbarred lawyer, but I also brought the documents. Uh, There's plenty of testimony, corroborating testimony to go around. Former Trump fixer Michael Cohen met with prosecutors and testified to the grand jury on multiple occasions in this years-long investigation. Raise your right hand. Cohen was convicted on federal charges and sentenced to three years in prison in part for his role paying off porn star Stormy Daniels to keep her quiet in the lead up to the 2016 election about her alleged affair with Donald Trump. It's a fight against his rejection of truth and his manufacturing of of stories that really uh, motivated her uh, to to try to uh, cooperate in any way, certainly to get the truth out. Trump denies the affair and any wrongdoing. Did you know about the $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels? No, no. Cohen, though, admits to writing the $130,000 check and claims he was reimbursed by the Trump Organization. 
That reimbursement and the way Trump accounted for it appears to be at the heart of the case against Trump. For Donald, since we're talking about convicted felons, see you on Tuesday, pal. Sources tell CNN the grand jury also heard testimony about a catch-and-kill scheme to bury a story about another alleged Trump affair with former Playboy Playmate of the Year Karen McDougal. Trump's longtime friend and then chairman of the National Enquirer's parent company, David Pecker, is believed to have orchestrated that $150,000 payment. Pecker testified before the grand jury Monday. Trump also denies any affair with McDougal. Trump's lawyers are now vowing to fight, saying they will move to get all charges dismissed before any trial. There's no crime. I don't know if it's going to make the trial because we have substantial legal challenges that we have to, to front before we get to that point. And CNN has been digging into who this mysterious last witness was on Thursday before the grand jury actually voted to indict Trump. That could all become a lot more clear as this case progresses. And of course, we'll also see how strong this case might be after this indictment is unsealed, likely Tuesday at the arraignment. And in the meantime, former Attorney General Bill Barr is the latest now speaking out, joining that chorus of Republicans to say that this is all a political hit job and a weak case. But of course, Pam, no one has actually seen the exact charges or any of the evidence here. Maybe that will all be laid out in court sometime next week. Yeah. He also said it would be bad for the eventual GOP nominee. Jessica Schneider, thank you so much. We'll discuss more about that in our political panel. But in the meantime, I want to go to CNN's Kristen Holmes, who is right outside Mar-a-Lago. Kristen, Trump quickly went from initial surprise to full-fledged attack mode. Yeah, Pamela, he did, and it doesn't show any signs of stopping. In addition to putting out that formal statement where he went after Alvin Bragg, he accused him of a political witch hunt, he called the indictment a hoax, he's also going after the judge who he is expected to appear in front of on Tuesday, saying that this judge, quote, hates him. In addition to that, we have seen nonstop posts on social media. That includes clips of his allies defending him across media platforms. And this is all part of an effort to control that public narrative. We know that Trump's team is watching this very closely. They are sending out updates blasts via email of who has Trump's back, who is defending him. And Trump is really rallying his troops. We know that he has been calling advisors, meeting with advisors, calling allies, including on Capitol Hill, shoring up the support that he has. And many of his advisors that I have spoken to say that they are pleased with the Republican response, because as we have talked about, Trump is not only a former U.S. president, but he is currently running for president right now. And they believe that this could help him in a contested primary, although it still, of course, remains to be seen whether or not an indictment like this could help him politically. Now, here at Mar-a-Lago or outside of Mar-a-Lago in West Palm, we just drove by the resort. It is relatively calm. We had heard rumors of protests. We're talking about all of this increased security. There was only about 10 to 15 people outside peacefully protesting in support of the former president, something that we obviously are keeping an eye on. One thing I do want to quickly note is when we talk about what's going to happen Tuesday, a lot of that is going to depend on what happens at that Secret Service walkthrough at that meeting, because that's going to dictate how the team responds and what they are actually allowed to do, Pamela. All right, Kristen Holmes, thank you so much. And now, as she noted, those are major logistical and security considerations surrounding Trump's impending arraignment. Let's bring in CNN's Brent Gingras and John Miller. So, Brent, you're right outside the courthouse in Manhattan. What does it look like? What are you hearing about security at the courthouse on Tuesday? 
Yeah, Pam, you know what? We are seeing a ton of security teams down here throughout the day. I'm going to get out of the way so you can look at 100 Center. This is the courthouse where the arraignment will be happening on Tuesday. You can see some NYPD officials out here in front. We actually saw not too long ago a team come out from the NYPD and installing cameras. There are lights around this area to light up the entire area uh, for the next couple of days when it gets dark out. So a number of security measures we're actually seeing right here. Inside, we're learning the floor that the arraignment is going to happen on. It's actually a restricted area right now, and that will continue into Tuesday. So there will be very heavy security about who will be able to be on uh, that floor. Of course, there's a lot of stuff we're not seeing, right? Of course, the intelligence officials are looking into the online chatter, the communication, social media, chat rooms, making sure they don't see any credible threats or any mobilization of groups coming here to uh, New York and trying to cause unrest. But, of course, the NYPD says they are ready for that. All in uniform today that will continue keeping that presence uh, to avoid any issues that come up. They'll be able to mobilize quickly. Pam. And John, what are the logistics behind moving a former president to a courthouse for an arraignment? How, how difficult is this for law enforcement? Oh, it's not difficult at all. It just requires a lot of planning. Um, you know, they have moved former presidents around New York before. They've moved presidents around New York many times. So the team that does this, NYPD, Highway Patrol, the Intelligence Bureau, working with the Secret Service, uh, this is a very well-rehearsed dance for them. The thing that makes it unusual isn't the moves, how to get them in and how to get them out. It's where they're going and why they're going there, which is he's going to be under arrest. So you've got a president who's guarded by a Secret Service detail that has to go um, and then be charged with a crime um, in a place where normally that person would be fingerprinted and photographed and handcuffed um, and, uh, and then brought to a courtroom. Uh, I think we'll see a modified version of that. Uh, don't know about, uh, don't know about uh, the exact details of the arrest process there, but it'll happen at the DA's office. And then he will be brought to a courtroom, not in handcuffs, um, and then he's going to enter a plea um, and then be, uh, for mm -hmm. all intents and purposes, released on his own recognizance. But it's the first time this has happened with a former president of the United States. All right, John Miller, Brian Gingras, thank you so much. Well, right now, millions of people are covered by a rare level five of five high risk alert from the Storm Prediction Center. Potentially long track tornadoes are possible in the Midwest and Mid-South. Let's go right to CNN meteorologist Chad Myers. And we're already seeing tornadoes touching down, right, Chad? Absolutely. One just moved to the northwest of downtown Little Rock. A significant tornado was on the ground and probably still is for miles across that northwest part of that city and across the river and across I-40. There's significant damage to the western suburbs of Little Rock at this hour. And a new tornado warning was just issued for the very same area, maybe three miles farther south, where that tornado tracked just about 30 minutes ago. Also, we know that there's damage near Peoria, Illinois, just to the south of that city there. More storms are firing as we speak, and many of them are rotating. When that happens, a tornado can come out at any time today. This is level five of five. This is the worst possible scenario for risk for severe weather that we've seen for a couple of years. And this only happens just a few times a year, and we haven't had one now for almost... 700 days. This is the area where we have tornado watches from Chicago all the way down to Dallas. 
any one of these storms could rotate today, which means they could put down a tornado. The other problem is that they're moving 50 to 60 miles per hour. You won't have a long time to take cover when you know something is coming your way. You need to do it now. Be ready. Make sure that phone is on. Your alerts are on because this is going to be a dangerous night for everyone in this area, especially these two pieces, these areas, these areas that are in pink, those are the most significant areas of damage. Here's some video we just got out of Little Rock. I've seen quite a bit of it. Most of it is to the west of town, but the tornado was on the ground. There you see it kind of coming out of the cloud right there. This to me, when it was on the ground, looking like what I call a stovepipe tornado, likely an EF2 tornado on the ground. And the damage that I've seen is somewhere between one and two. Obviously not all the damage has been seen yet because this video is just coming in to our control room, just coming in even to the control rooms of the Little Rock affiliates there in Arkansas. Mm. If you are in this area, this red or orange or yellow area, today's the day to pay attention. One of the worst days we've seen for these watches PDS, particularly dangerous situation watches, with large tornadoes possible well through dark. That's another problem if this happens after you're sleeping. That is, uh, you know what, this reminds me eerily of what happened in Mayfield, Kentucky in December of 2021, where that huge tornado came at night. People were sleeping and it was a horrible situation. In fact, I just got a text from one of them, Chad, uh, one of the people who was there in Kentucky then, he said, we're evacuating again because of the, the tornado threat in Kentucky and elsewhere. It is horrific. A five out of five, you say, help us better understand how unusual that is. The last time it happened was exactly two years ago. The tornado was an EF4 that rolled through parts of Georgia. Uh, and there are many areas here that we see. There, there's three different or five different technically, but we only really count three. Slight, moderate, enhanced, and then we go to high. And then below that, there's a chance of a thunderstorm that could have some lightning and some wind. But when we get to this high risk, it is the highest risk. It's right below when you put a watch out. And people still don't understand the difference. My mom never did. Uh, Watch and warning. The watch means that it's possible. The warning means it's happening. Let's go to some of this video here. We're just getting this in my ear. Uh, Little Rock video coming from the ground. Some of this here looking out from the uh, higher rise apartments here from Little Rock looking to the west here. This is the tornado on the ground. This is what I was talking about, how it's not just a small little rope. This was a very wide tornado at the base, which means the extent of the damage isn't just maybe a block wide. It could be three to five blocks wide as it was moving across the north western parts of the city and then across and right toward the airport itself and for a time the national weather service said we are taking cover right now because the tornado was heading right toward the airport which is where the weather service office is but this is significant damage caused by this a big big tornado this is going to continue to play obviously the person that was shooting this was out of danger But still, you need to stay away from these Mm -hmm. and don't just try to be a videographer in this point in time. When you know that this is coming, you hear the sirens, I really need you to take the cover that's necessary to protect you, your pets, your property, and the people that you love around you. Because this is what can happen. This is where we're going here. This is what the damage occurred as the storm rolled through this area. Now, 
Many of these areas here, probably I'm, I'm seeing some of the buildings that aren't brick structures. So we're not going to be able to tell what kind of damage that was when you, when you roll over a trailer, uh, you know, a, a, a small RV. You, you can get a wind to 60 or 70 miles per hour to do that. But look at the damage here to the shopping center. All of the cars, the carts in disarray, windows blown out of those cars, mm-hmm. which is why we tell you don't go into your car. Because a big tornado doesn't have any place left in that car when it's done with it. There's no place left for you in that car. And obviously those windows shattering out can put cuts and all kinds of debris into the car itself. You need to be in a proper structure when you see something like this happening. The, The biggest threat, I think, today... Yes, obviously the tornado is the threat. The biggest threat is how quickly these are moving. You will not be out, get out of the way of these. I mean, you, if you have five or ten minutes, that will be a lot. When these tornadoes decide to come down to the ground, mm-hmm. the warnings will be to the counties to your southwest, and then you need to pay attention. You need to know the county to your southwest. And if you hear on the radio or the TV, hey, this is you know, southwest of us by 30 miles, you only have 15 or 20 minutes at this type of rate mm-hmm. of speed as these storms are rolling to the northeast very, very quickly. And the watches go from Chicago all the way down to Texas. And in Chicago, tomorrow it will snow. This is how violent this low-pressure center is. There is a big clash between the warm and the humid and the cold and the dry, and that's what happens when this happens. And, and you know, we get many tornadoes like this, and they roll through farm fields and cornfields and, and the like, and, and nothing happens, and they never get any coverage. But when you get a small tornado to roll through a town, that is coverage. When you get a tornado this size, this is breaking news. And, and like you said, there's just not much time to take cover once it, it's close to where you might live. So, so people need to be heeding these warnings, checking their, um, y- you know, their, their local forecasting, what's going on. We have some new information just coming into CNN. More than 50,000 customers are without power in Pulaski County, Arkansas. That includes Little Rock. As a confirmed tornado west of Little Rock is expected to pass just north of downtown. And what strikes me, Chad, as you're going through this, is just how wide the swath is for the concern of this severe weather. And, and something that I think about as a parent, we're still talking about kids in school at this point in time. Oh, it's only 3 o'clock in the afternoon here. Kids are likely not in their buses, not really at home yet. So you have to think about all the things that go through the emergency process and how the children and how the schools go through this process and how they train for this and how everyone needs to be in the right place at the right time when these kids are in school. A lot of times these tornadoes hit at 5, 6, 7 o'clock at night in the warmest or at least the, the most volatile part of the day. But when they happen during school hours, they can really, really be a problem for those people, even if you're trying to go pick up your child. I mean, you don't know where the, where the roads are open, where they're closed. We know that I've seen highway pictures here from the Arkansas DOT. A lot of these roads are completely stopped. There are cars three wide for miles because there's damage in front of them. You don't want to be on the road if the next tornado is coming at your car that can't move because there's damage ahead of you. Time to stay inside. This was and will likely continue to be for many, many more hours a dangerous day. It will. And you mentioned kids being in school. I remember in Oklahoma in 2013 when that tornado struck through more Oklahoma, Chad, uh, when two elementary schools were hit hard. Look at this right here. We're looking at some live video. This is from our affiliate, KMIZ. This is in Columbia, Missouri. A person is driving. This is where some of that uh, bad weather is. Tell us kind of what we're seeing here, Chad, if you can see what's happening. 
No, and actually, it's it's really hard to see what's going on here. There's some type of cloud that might be near the ground, but I would consider that what we call scud, just rapidly rising air, nothing that's truly attached. When you get a tornado, you can tell that it's a tornado. It's just not something fuzzy here. So this is very difficult for me to see. Maybe even just a raindrop on the windshield it just got in the way of what mm-hmm. I was looking at. There's, there, there's nothing really in Missouri just yet that I'm that concerned with, but there will certainly will be. Iowa, you are next. Northern Illinois, big time severe weather for you. We are looking at every storm that has a potential to rotate, even for Davenport, Iowa, for Galesburg, Iowa. Here, every single storm, they're all individual cells. When you get cells one at a time, all by itself, that's the storm that will be a top. When you get them all bouncing against each other, it's like battling tops, the old game we used to play. When the battling tops just bounced against around each other, they didn't keep going very long. They bounced around and then they died. But when you don't have them bouncing off of each other, that's when they can go for a very long time and get very, very big and very dangerous. I mean, how many tornadoes are we talking about here, Chad? Today, I could easily see there be 50. Wow. And I could easily, no question. And I could easily see that they're, now that they've already started, you know, we, we, we talked about this in the weather service, in, in the office here to the weather service, that sometimes when you get a high risk day, everything just doesn't work. Like you, you try to make a cake, you put all the ingredients together mm-hmm. and it just doesn't rise. Right. And so that is always a possibility where the, in just too many ingredients, you just can't get the tornadoes to fire. But I believe all the ingredients are in the right amounts today and you know, we don't even see storms down here, but there will be. We don't see storms up here near Ottawa, but there will be. They mm-hmm. will fire all the way through the afternoon. And the potential here is also for damage when it comes to hail. There will yeah. be hail to tennis, tennis ball size hail with some of these storms, even if they don't produce a tornado. That can put your pets, your property, your house in danger, you in danger if you're outside. Today's a day to be in, get in, and stay in. And just for our viewers who might be watching this in the the track of the severe weather, what should they do? Where should they go? I I remember when I went to Mayfield, Kentucky, um, I spoke to one gentleman who hidden his his bathtub and he actually survived the storm. I talked to him again today. He said people are going to a bowling alley in town because he's still living in a FEMA trailer from the tornado back in 2021. What should people do right now? The tornado if it would hit the bowling alley, would likely take the roof off. So Hmm. there must be a safe place in that bowling alley that he's talking about, something surrounded by walls and not a wide open space. That's why we don't put children in gymnasiums when a tornado warning comes in. They go into interior hallways. They go into interior places that are away from windows. The top of a gymnasium can come off rather mm. quickly. doesn't take much. It's just a, it's a tin structure above you with metal girders. That's the same probably idea of a bowling alley. So if they're going to go into someplace like that, and it's a good idea if you live in a mobile home to go anywhere that's stronger than a mobile home, because a 70 mile per hour, 80 mile per hour wind can roll the motor home, the mobile home. That doesn't mean you don't want to be in there. You want to mm-hmm. be something stronger, something, a bigger structure. And if that's what you get, that's what you get. I mean, you have to take and, and, and go to the, the lowest common denominator and find what you believe to be yeah. the safest place. Well, listen, uh, Chad, stay with us. This is all unfolding right now. We're going to stay on top of it, keep monitoring it. And we're also going to get to our other big headlines today right after this quick break. We'll be right back. 
We are back with breaking news. What looks to be a very severe, scary tornado outbreak that has begun across the Midwest and the Mid-South. Multiple reports of injuries and damage already in Little Rock and surrounding areas. These are live pictures from the Little Rock area on the right side of your screen. The Little Rock mayor asking residents to steer clear of the damage. You heard our Chad Myers on earlier saying that he thinks he could easily see around 50 tornadoes today. He says the conditions are ripe for that to happen. So we're going to keep monitoring this throughout the show. But in the meantime, we want to turn to our politics lead. And that, of course, is Donald Trump's indictment in New York that has members of Congress from every state taking sides, in some cases, very loudly. CNN's Monty Raju is keeping track of it all from Capitol Hill. It didn't take long for House GOP leaders to rush to Donald Trump's defense. I've said from day one, this is a political stunt. Attacking Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg over the unprecedented indictment of a former president on criminal charges. I have zero trust that this will play out fairly. Today, Bragg's office pushing back. In a scathing letter to three House GOP chairmen who have sought his testimony and internal records, accusing them of doing Trump's bidding and writing... As committee chairman, you could use the stature of your office to denounce these attacks and urge respect for the fairness of our justice system and for the work of the impartial grand jury. But House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says that Bragg will be held to account. Sources say Trump is expected to be accused of falsifying business records to cover up 2016 payments to adult film actress Stormy Daniels to keep quiet allegations of an extramarital affair but no one has seen the evidence prosecutors have uncovered. Mr. President! Though that didn't stop one congressman to claim the prosecutor could have indicted the ham sandwiches he was handing out on Capitol Hill. So I know how to spot a pile of garbage, and this thing looks like a pile of garbage. Even without seeing the evidence, you're certain he's innocent. I'm not certain of anything except this. This is the first time in the history of the country we've indicted a president. And the fact that, you know, he's just now announced and they rolled this thing out, it smells pretty fishy. Top Republicans agree despite not seeing the charges. Aren't you jumping to conclusions? I mean, he may have broken the law. Does that concern you? We don't think think President Trump broke the law at all. But there has been silence from Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell and his number two, John Thune, who told CNN earlier there were legitimate questions about Bragg, though he would not align himself with House GOP efforts. Do you support House Republican efforts to call Alvin Bragg up here and get him to testify? I'm not going to get into what the House is... uh, doing there. Two other members of Senator McConnell's leadership team did come out and criticize Alvin Bragg. That's Senator John Cornyn and Senator John Barrasso. Cornyn Barrasso and Thune all seen as potential successors to McConnell down the line. And also some other reaction and some others warning against a rush to judgment. That coming from Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, one of the senators who voted to convict Donald Trump and is a second impeachment trial, saying that she's monitoring the situation. Everyone deserves a legal, fair legal process. But she says we should evaluate the evidence as it becomes available, showing the divide once again that exists over Donald Trump among Republicans on Capitol Hill. All right, Manu Raju, thank you so much, Manu. Let's turn now to CNN legal analyst Kerry Cordero and CNN senior law enforcement analyst Andrew McCabe. So, Kerry, walk us through what this is going to look like when Trump appears before a judge on Tuesday. Well, it's a big question because this is such an unusual and unprecedented situation. So I think at this point, we don't know exactly what it will look like because it has the potential, of course, to be an enormous spectacle 
for the country uh, if the former president wants to talk to microphones, if he wants to wave to supporters, um, depending on how the court and the judge actually handles the processing of him. So a lot, I think, depends actually on the security precautions that go into place and the interactions and the planning and the coordination that takes place between the Secret Service, uh, which is responsible for the former uh, president's protection, and the court security and the New York Police Department. And those law enforcement agencies really are going to play a big role in terms of what we actually see uh, on the public side on Tuesday. Yeah, there's a lot of coordinating right now ahead of Tuesday for that very reason. Andrew, Trump's lawyers are saying they're going to file a motion to dismiss. Do you think they have a strong case to do so? Well, I'm quite sure they will. I'm sure there'll be a lot of uh, pretrial motions that'll that'll end up delaying any progress in in this case as it goes down the road. I mean, I think there are many potential uh, potentially challenging legal issues baked into this case. We don't know exactly what the DA uh, has charged the former president with. We'll find that out on Tuesday. But um, I think most uh, most commentators believe that it's founded on uh, charges involving false business records, which may become felony charges if the falsification is done with the intent to cover up or commit a second crime. It's where that second crime comes in that there's all sorts of questions about whether or not you can use as a second crime, for instance, a violation of federal campaign finance law, which is one theory that the prosecutor might have used here. So no matter what the prosecutor has done, I'm confident that Trump's lawyers will challenge the legal theory and the legal soundness of this case in an effort to get it knocked out early in the process. Whether or not they're successful, we'll have to see. We keep talking about how historic this is, unprecedented, Carrie, and it raises the question, if this does go to trial, how would a former president get an untainted jury? I mean, everyone knows who he is. Everyone has very strong opinions. Of him. Right. Although there are cases involving celebrities and other well-known people. Um, so this obviously is historic and it would be highly unusual. But I would just emphasize that there is a real long road before we ever get to a potential trial. Um, as Andrew was describing, the former president is going to file motions to dismiss. Those motions, I think, will have some credible arguments to them in terms of challenging the prosecutor's legal theory in this case. And so the motions practice may go on for a period of time, even though right now publicly the former president's lawyer is saying that there never, will, there is not going to be a plea and that he will plead not guilty. As the case progresses and as discovery takes place, it's a possibility that they could reach an agreement, for example, to end up with just a misdemeanor if the pre former president at some point just wants to put this behind him and move forward. So I just think we're a really long way away from a trial, and there's a lot of legal process that is going to take place in the meantime. What do you think, Andy? What are some big questions you have moving forward, given the unprecedented nature here? Well, Pam, it, it is unprecedented, and, and we've all you know, said that a lot in the last 24 hours, but I think we have to remember that there's a, there are a lot of things that have been unprecedented about this, this president. It's unprecedented to have elected a president who used to run a charity that got blown up by the state for essentially being a fraud. Unprecedented to have a former president whose company that he founded and ran got recently been convicted of multiple counts of tax fraud. It's unprecedented to have had a president who uh, who, who rallied a, 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 an armed riotous mob to attack the Capitol. It's unprecedented to have had a president impeached twice. So we should be prepared for unprecedented things to happen 
around Donald Trump. Uh, I think in many ways, an indictment in this case it was not that uh, surprising. He's currently the subject of four very aggressive, very serious criminal investigations. This is just the first one to go this far. All right, Andrew McCabe, Carrie Cordero, thank you very much. Up next, the reporter who got Trump on the record about the hush money payment to Stormy Daniels, plus the tornado emergency happening right now in parts of the Midwest and the South. Keep it here for our live coverage. Back with our breaking news, you are looking at live images near Peoria, Illinois, where a confirmed tornado is on the ground. It is part of a widespread tornado emergency underway across parts of the Midwest and Mid-South. And we are already getting reports of injuries and damage in and around the Little Rock, Arkansas area. We're going to be covering the severe weather throughout the show, but we also want to get to our politics lead as former President Donald Trump faces more than 30 criminal charges related to business fraud. This first-ever indictment of a current or former president is sure to cast a long shadow over the 2024 presidential race. So let's discuss all of this with our panel. And I want to start with Catherine, because Catherine, next Wednesday, I believe, will mark five years since you got Donald Trump (laughs) to break his silence on Stormy Daniels and that hush money payment. I remember it well when I covered the White House. I'm sure you do, too. Abby, uh, so let's just take a listen to that moment and then we'll talk on the other side. Did you know about the $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels? No, no. Why did Michael Cohen make this if there was no truth to allegations? Well, you have to ask Michael Cohen. Michael's my attorney, and you'll have to ask Michael Cohen. Do you know where he got the money? Of course, that story has evolved a lot since then. But here we are now leading to an indictment in this case. How significant is this? I mean, this is this is hugely significant. Obviously, this is the first president uh, facing an indictment like this. And I think we're still trying to answer some of those questions from five years ago, uh, where he said, claims to have known nothing about it. Uh, obviously, he's had a falling out with Michael Cohen since then. But uh, none of this, none of none of his answers then fully added up. And I think. We need to see what's in um, what, what's in this indictment. We haven't seen all the details yet. We're waiting for more when Trump is arraigned next week. But I think we are still waiting to try and understand exactly how this unfolded and, and what, what led to this. Right. And without knowing all the facts, yes. that's not stopping politicians on both sides of the aisle from speaking out. You have also the former Trump attorney general, um, the former Trump attorney general, Bill Barr, today calling the indictment of Trump a political hit job. But he also said this. Politically, it's, a, it's, a, it's going to be damaging, I think, to the Republican Party simply because I think it's, it's a no-lose situation for the Democrats. I think, they're actually, I think the, the impetus is really to help Trump get the nomination, focus the attention on him for two years, have this thing swirling around, plus whatever else comes, which I think will be damaging uh, to whoever gets the nomination. Is he right, you think? I think anything that elevates Trump helps Biden. He's most certainly the Democrats' preferred candidate. And right now, in the short term, you're going to see this indictment help Trump. Uh, He's already fundraising off of it. Mm -hmm. Long term, though, I don't think it's going to help him. Um, It might help him secure the Republican nomination. I don't think it's going to benefit him in a general. I think it's a reminder to voters that um, Trump has a lot of baggage and a lot of drama that comes with him. And that doesn't make him electable. What do you think? As a Democrat, he's not the Democrats' favorite candidate. I'm sorry, Sarah. That's not true. Democrats view him as 
corrupt, crazy, chaotic. They don't want him within 100 miles of the White House. Uh, I'd, I'd much rather, and I think most Democrats, much rather go back to the days when people like us argued over taxes or schools or foreign policy or welfare or trade. Instead, we have this existential threat to our democracy in Mr. Trump. Now he's under indictment and his party is rallying to him before they even see, they don't even know the facts yet. They don't care. Uh, and it just shows the, the, the really cult-like hold he has on about a third to a half of his party. But the yeah. Trump-Biden Trump matchup is definitely one that Democrats feel way more confident in because the contrast there is so stark. You've got, especially now, if he is indicted, when he's indicted and if this goes to trial and if there are other indictments, you can't really come up with something more stark than that. And I think for Biden, uh, the, the strategy at this moment is going to be to just let this whole thing play out. Because the other thing that it does for Biden is that all the other people who are challenging Trump, now they're forced to defend him. And that is also something that I think uh, if you're if you're maybe you're not a never Trumper, but you would prefer that you're a Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or anybody else. This is a tough moment for you because you can't really run your own campaign when you're busy defending Trump against indictments for hush money payments. Also, I think when Democrats look at the potential Biden Trump matchup, they see a a repeat and they won last time. So there's a, you know, there's a sense that they, they've done this before. They know the playbook. They know how to fundraise against him. Mm-hmm. And there's more investigations and suits potentially to come. Yeah. I mean, we know that there are many other investigations. There's four in total. This is one of the four. Um, and when you look at ahead to Tuesday and what that might entail, there is some concern, right? Uh, security concerns, understandably. You have House Speaker Kevin McCarthy saying he doesn't think people should protest over this indictment. A very different tune from Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, Sarah. She tweeted that she plans to travel to New York City Tuesday to protest the indictment. She's also claiming Democrats want civil war. How concerning is this? I think it's irresponsible um, to encourage people to go protest. Obviously, she learned nothing from January 6th. And to have that kind of rhetoric to call it a civil war, um, it's just ridiculous. And I wish that um, McCarthy would tell her to turn down the temperature. I do appreciate him saying that people shouldn't go protest, but he needs to encourage um, his conference then to echo his messaging on this as well. Yeah, I mean, because you were in the White House on January 6th, right? You, you resigned because of January 6th. And to hear that kind of rhetoric... Yeah, it just goes to show that um, the party uh, for the majority has learned nothing um, from January 6th if they're out there kind of using this um, rhetoric that uh, I think could encourage violence. And I don't think it would be necessarily the same scale that we you know, saw on January 6th. But I hope that the if people do go protest um, in New York on Tuesday, that it's peacefully. And right. that's what Marjorie Taylor Greene needs to tell people to do is to be peaceful. Peacefully assembled, which is a constitutionally protected right. We should be clear. Um, It is really interesting, though, because if you'll recall, back after the 2020 election, there were a lot of Republicans who were saying, as you'll recall, let's just see how this all plays out. Let's respect our court system. Let's respect, you know, this process. And now it's very different from some of these um, Republicans. They They are trashing Alvin Bragg. They are trashing the criminal justice system. So let's take a listen to some of that sound. I support the continued effort by the Trump campaign to make sure that every legal ballot and only legal ballots and legal votes are counted. Why not let that play? We had four years of the Democrats attacking this president, trying to undermine the election of 2016, trying to throw President Trump out of office. 
but we can't follow the process for a few weeks. We can't follow the Constitution. We can't follow the law. Let the legal process play out. But if you want to restore trust by millions of people who are still very frustrated and angry about what happened, uh, that's why you've got to have this whole system play out. There's a lot of shenanigans going on here. If I were President Trump, I would take all this to court. I'd fight back. So let the legal process say play out then now not so much for some of these Republicans. Yeah, I mean, listening to that montage, it's was it was absurd at the time mm-hmm. uh, that there was anything really to play out. And it's even more absurd now when you consider that uh, the process that's playing out right now is one that involves a grand jury. It's one that involves uh, actual alleged wrongdoing that when you really listen to Trump allies and even his own attorneys, the argument is less that he didn't do it and more that it shouldn't matter. So I, 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 I mean, I think that, look, Republicans, especially after 2020, were willing to say anything uh, to support Trump's line on this. And that's actually exactly what's happening right now. He's pushing them to go to the extremes and they're doing exactly what he is asking for. Yeah, it says a lot of where he stands in the party still. All right. Thank you all so much. We have some other breaking news we have to get to. We appreciate it. Look out for Abby Phillip on Inside Politics Sunday at its new time, 11 a.m. on Sundays, right here on CNN. And we want to turn now to our national lead with severe weather bearing down on the south and Midwest. President Joe Biden has been in Mississippi in his role as Consoler in Chief. He visited with survivors of last week's tornado that leveled the town of Rolling Fork. He formally announced the federal government will assume the full cost over the next 30 days for measures like operating shelters, paying overtime to first responders, and removing debris. I made it clear that we'll do everything, everything that's legally within my power to do to be of assistance to the people in this community. Last weekend, storms killed at least 26 people as they cut a ruinous path across Mississippi and Alabama and Tennessee. And now to the current threat, a tornado outbreak in the Midwest and Mid-South underway right now. Let's go back to meteorologist Chad Meyer. So what is the latest with these storms, Chad? Well, if you are still on the ground, one near Ottumwa, Iowa, one here in Arkansas, just to the east of Little Rock, that storm did go through the northwestern suburbs of Little Rock and created significant damage in that area as a tornado on the ground. Farther to the north, a different part of the system still with hail coming down. Could be the size of tennis balls. Back out to the west, here's Ottumwa, Iowa. Rotating thunderstorm right there. Confirmed tornado on the ground in rural Iowa at this hour. The watches, the tornado watches, go all the way from Chicago to Texas. And this is a large area of severe weather. It's difficult to get your head around how much severe weather could happen. We are now just getting into the heat of the day when the storms will likely be the most severe. And they are going to be five out of five severe. We use these categories, one, two, three, four, five, slight and then enhanced and moderate and high. Well, today we're high. We are five out of five in those two pink areas. There will be and there are tornadoes on the ground. And in this hatched part that the Severe Prediction Center put out there, Storm Prediction, said, yes, some of those could be EF2s or EF3s or greater. These could be big rotating supercells that are on the ground for a very long time. And as I push it through, we push these through Memphis, we push these through Paducah, we push these through parts of Illinois and Indiana, and then eventually by tomorrow, finally off the East Coast. But storms are going right now, and they will likely get bigger, stronger, 
and more of them. All right. I'm going to go right to CNN meteorologist Derek Van Dam. He is in Memphis, one of the areas at risk for tornadoes today. Derek? Pamela, we're in one of those level five of five risks that Chad just talked about. And I want you to bring up the graphics in the control room so we can get this kind of broader perspective. The tornado watches, they stretch across 12 states. And I'm going to bring your attention to the deep south where I'm located. Uh, you can see River Fork. That's in the, the central and northwestern sections of Mississippi. That's an area that we're concerned about as well, considering what happened exactly one week ago. But if we focus in on Memphis, the Little Rock region, I I actually interviewed one of the meteorologists from the National Weather Service in Memphis. And what they told me is that they're particularly concerned about the storms that you see here on my map. This uh, Little Rock storm that's basically traversing just north of uh, Interstate 40 or Highway 40. Uh, That is the tornado-worn storm that moved through Little Rock region, caused the damage that you've seen on your TV screens. But it's moving so quickly. So if people aren't paying attention, they won't have that opportunity to seek shelter from a storm that's moving 60, 70 miles per hour. That is a major concern. And, of course, we need to look to these storms, to the environment we call that upstream from Memphis, where I'm located now, to determine what type of threats that we have coming on. And all threats are on the table. Significant, intense, long-track tornadoes as they feed into this environment that is clearly warm, very windy, and very unstable. Pamela. Yeah, all threats on the table, as you say. Derek Van Dam, thank you so much. Well, Kentucky's governor has issued a state of emergency saying, quote, today's the worst forecast I have ever seen as governor. And this afternoon, I got a text from a survivor of the massive 2021 tornado that devastated western Kentucky. He wrote, quote, keep us in prayer. It looks like we may be in for another tornado. I met Charles Sherrill during a trip back to my home state of Kentucky. And like so many others, he is still struggling to get by day by day after that tornado. And now he has to worry about another severe storm. Do you ever feel like a refugee in your own state? Yes, I do. I really do. Like, you know, family, a lot of my family have moved off. And in a sense, they're refugees too because they've moved away. Right. You must be sheltered immediately. The next five minutes are going to be very rough in Mayfield. On December 10th, 2021, it was eerily warm outside. Perhaps an early warning sign that a monstrous mile-wide tornado was coming. Charles Sherrill was at home in Mayfield, Kentucky. So this is your house. I was in that bathtub right there. And what were you thinking when? I'm just praying, praying that you know that God will take care of me. We just try to make a, a best of a bad situation. More than a year later, he is still living with his family in a FEMA trailer. This, this is the second bedroom where my grandkids and my daughter sleeps at. How do they all sleep in here? They just, my daughter sleep on one end and my two grandsons sleep on the other end. It's small, but this is all we got. He wants to rebuild here in a town that used to house 10,000 people, but is now empty slab after empty slab. There's really no job opportunities here. I don't think it'd ever be the same. And that is just a look at how the severe weather just really decimates 
these towns where people have lived, that they, this is where their livelihoods are, like Charles Sherrill, now still a year on uh, living in a FEMA trailer. It is so hard to get back on your feet after severe weather. That is an example of this. And, and we actually got a text from Charles this afternoon, and he it reads in part, me and my family are packing up right now. I'm not going to put my life in the hands of a bathtub again. Keep us in prayer. And we are. And this is just one part of a bigger story looking at the devastation from severe weather in Kentucky. We showcased how rebuilding is a monumental task where many can't afford to stay or move. That full piece will air at 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Hope you can watch it. Well, coming up Sunday on State of the Union, Michael Cohen's lawyer, Lanny Davis, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, House Intelligence Chairman Mike Turner, and Republican Congressman Dan Crenshaw. That's all Sunday morning at 9 and again on CNN right here at noon. Our coverage continues now with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.